Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Well, you and I are a part of something amazing. Let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8. I'm reading out of the message version. In our first message on by design, verse 8 of Ephesians 1 says this, He, that's God, thought of everything provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans He took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in Him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose He's working out in everything and everyone. Every person on the planet is meant to be a part of a divine design. We are not random individuals who happen to have believed. There is a design, it says it, and there is a plan. And God has created within every human being the innate desire to be useful. Think about it. Why at schools do we have guidance counsellors? My brother, one of my brothers, has recently taken voluntary redundancy from his bank manager job that he had. As a part of the severance package, they have engaged for him at their cost a consulting firm to help him find out what the next season of his life looks like. Well, if everybody was the same or if it didn't matter, that would never happen. Even children, little toddlers want to be useful. I know that because I've raised three, got three grandchildren and they love nothing more than to help. We gave one of our my grandchildren a watering can in the shape of a flamingo. It's just kind of cute and it was pink and she liked pink. So I gave her this watering can. Well, now my just three-year-old grandson, he wants to help. He can't carry the hose or turn the hose on, but he can take the little watering can, but he doesn't call it watering the garden. He calls it doing a mingo. So uh, one day when I rang him up, I started singing a song about doing the mingo. And uh, now whenever I ring up, it's Granddad, sing me the mingo song. You know, he's only three, but there's already a desire in him to be useful. I'm never surprised that when people come to Christ, it's not long, like Pam just said on that video, it's not long before they start saying, I want to be useful. How do I contribute? Where can I serve? What can I do? And so it's important that we are useful. I did some research just yesterday on rates of depression, particularly amongst men uh, after they retire. One study says it increases by a factor of three three times the rate of depression in men when they retire. 
There's a whole lot of reasons why it can be like that. But one of the primary reasons these researchers said is simply this, that what has been the purpose of their life, the usefulness of their life is no longer there for them. And uh, lots of men then start going, how can I be useful? Why? Because you and I are designed to be useful. You are designed by God. That, this whole workbook that's in front of you has got space for you to write down not what I say, but what are the things that the Holy Spirit triggers off in you while I'm speaking. It may be what I've said and you go, that's me. Or maybe it'll be something quite a bit different. Maybe it's just for you. At the end of each section, there's space for you to record three things. One is think. What do I need to think on when it comes to how God has designed me? I'll give you a couple of clues. Well, like what's your passions in life? What are the things that you'd like to do? I often ask people, what would you do if money was not an issue? What would you like to do? I'm forever asking children and forever asking young adults when I get served by a waits person in a restaurant, I say, what do you want to do? Do you want to own a restaurant someday? Is that why you're here? Well, about eight times out of 10, they tell me they're studying. And I say, then what are you going to do? I spoke to someone recently who was telling me about uh, they're going to do a Masters of Literature. It was Suvani in, in Transform Cambodia. And I had no idea what you do with the Masters in English Literature. So I asked her, I said, what does that look like? She said to me, well, there's three things. She said, number one, I'm going to be the principal of a school. She didn't say, I'd like to be. She said, I'm going to be the principal of a school. She said, not only that, she said, I'm going to be an author. I'm going to write books. I said, that's great. I said, what's the third thing? She said, I'm going to be a businesswoman. I've already started and proceeded to pull out her business card. She's 17, by the way, going on 18 pulled out her business card and already told me what her business was and she's already started. She's already found a mentor to help her in the business sector because she says, I don't know everything about all of that. So the innate desire for all of us, I want you to think about this. Every one of us, myself included, what do I need to think of? For some of us, it means what do I need to stop thinking? I'm too old, I'm too young. You know, uh, I'm finished. If you are breathing, you're not finished. Come on, tell your neighbour right now, if you're breathing, you're not finished. I don't care how old you are. If you're breathing, you're not finished. Here's the second thing on this booklet is a a space for pray. What am I going to pray about? And by pray, I don't mean go, oh God, please do something, amen. That's not the kind of prayer we're talking about. We're talking about you regularly, you know, for a period of time saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, will you help me with that? Who do I need to connect with? Like Souvenir has already so wisely done. The third area, well, it's important because without the third area, the first two were just a whole lot of mental gymnastics. But the third one is what do I need to do? Not one day when I get there, what do I need to do now? What do I need to do now? What are the things that I ought to be stepping out into right now? You can all do some of that. And every one of us is going to have a different thing written down. That's why it's for you. Bring your book every week. 
If you can remember, bring your book every week. We're not going to hold them here for you. So if you leave it on the seat, we'll be selling it in threads. <laughs> It'll be your responses to God's Word for you. There's a design. Now listen, about, I don't know, maybe is it 10, 12 years ago, I think, Rhonda, that Rhonda and I agreed that we needed a pergola at our house. A pergola, some people in some cultures call it. Or as my friends from France called it, a gazebo. But anyway, it's a pergola. A pergola is an addition to your house that you kind of add on in Australia and it provides shade and and cooling, and it's a nice place to sit in our open air on those 40-something degree days. It's just a great space. Well, when I decided that Rhonda was right and we're going to build a pergola, I went to my friend Mark Patterson, who's right there in the front row, who was an architect. And I went to Mark and I said, Mark, I need some plans for a pergola. He said to me, what do you want to do? in your pergola. I'll give you exactly what I said back. What do you mean do? It's a pergola. He said, don't worry about it. I'll talk to Rhonda. (laughs) He came round to our house. I was there. He gets Rhonda out and says, Rhonda, tell me what you want to do. And I discovered that day, Rhonda had all these ideas about what we'd do in a pergola. I thought we'd have a pergola. What are you going to do there? It's a pergola. Rhonda said, well, over there, I want to have a little table where we can sit and have coffee and tea in the morning. I go, really? Over there, I want to have a bigger table where everybody can gather together. She rhymed off five things, as I recall, that she wanted to do in the pergola. And Mark said, good, I'll go and design a pergola where you can do those five things. So that's why my pergola now is visible from outer space. (laughs) And I'm not kidding. About the only thing I, I thought, gee, I'm glad I got Mark onto this was he said to me, because our land has got a bit of a terrace at the back section. He said, if you do what you were going to do, which was I'm going to nail it up onto the fascia and just run a couple of poles out and then sheet it off. He said, well, if you do that, by the time you get up onto the next level, he said, it's going to take you off at the chest. <laughs> so I thought, that's good. That's why. So that's why I now have a double gable pergola. It's like, seriously, it's ridiculous. And I built it with my brother-in-law and I built the frames. What do you call the frame things? Trusses, thank you. See, I knew there was, I'm such a builder. (laughs) I built them at night in my carport using a template and a, a sledgehammer and nail plates and a big block of steel, which I've still got. And we, uh, we built the concrete for the poles. Uh, I did that with a mixer and handed it up to my brother-in-law in a bucket. Are you, none of you right now are going, wow, that's impressive, Pastor. <laughs> that's why I told you about it. I'm hoping you'll think that. But here's the deal. And I, I put this up for you because I want you to get it. The design 
is always determined by the purpose. Mark got it right as an architect. What do you want to do? That determines what the design is. So when I look at you and I look at me and I see a design that is incredibly marvellous and wonderful, that science has nowhere near discovered all there is to discover. I'm constantly watching uh, podcasts or things like that. I watched one recently on the DNA and the genome and there's the scientist from Harvard saying, we actually have no idea how it happens or why it happens. So you are an incredibly wonderfully made unit. The Scripture says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's, you are incredibly complex. You are a marvellous individual. But if that's the design, then what's the purpose behind the design? Here's just four things. Number one, the first purpose behind your design is relationship. You are designed for it. It's not a social construct. It's not the result of an evolutionary uh, community kind of benefit. You are designed by Almighty God for relationship in your life. The Bible, when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, this is what He said. When you pray, say, ready? Our, not my Father, our Father. Don't you think it's, it's significant that the first part of the prayer gathers us together? The first part of Jesus' prayer says it's not about one, it's about together. It's about all of us. John 15, verse 15, Jesus speaking to His disciples, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but I've called you friends. Oh, I think that is the most wonderful verse just about in the Bible. I think how wonderful that I have a Saviour who doesn't view me as an object of rescue. He doesn't look at me as a broken piece of humanity in need of compassion, but He looks at me as a potential friend. He looks at me as somebody that He wants to do life with and enjoy life with. He goes on and says, For all things that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. So you're designed for it, but not just towards God. Psalm 68 verse 6 says, God puts the solitary, the alone. He puts them into families. In other words, it can never just be vertical. The cross is vertical for sure, but also the cross is horizontal, telling us that it's not just me and God but it's me and other people as well. Ephesians 3 verse 15, talking about the church, says, For this reason I bow my fathers, my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and in earth, we are one family. We're not two separate ones. We're not going to have a big merger someday or other. Most of us here would have loved ones people that have gone before, they've passed away, they've gone to heaven. And the Bible says you're one family and one day the family will have a family reunion and we will all be there gathered around the throne of God and celebrating. But we won't be celebrating as congregation and preacher or minister. We won't be celebrating as Saviour a long way away, but it will be a family gathering, a family reunion. That's what you and I are. And we are designed for that. I heard someone say recently, whoever grows alone grows weird. And I thought, my goodness, that's the truth. 
you know, I know that I'm not going well in my life when I don't want to let people in. Sometimes you can just get tired. You can get tired of people. You can just get hurt. You can get disappointed. And that human tendency is always this. Move in, close in, cocoon your life. Proverbs 18 verse 1. It's a beautiful verse. It's not there for you in the list, but it says this. He that isolates or she that isolates themselves seeks their own desire. In other words, it's become about self. And then it goes on and it says a most remarkable statement. It says they rage against all wisdom. In other words, it's never wise to become isolated. Now I know in this world in which we live, We've been told all the time we're victims of this and we're victims of that and bullying and all the rest. That's all, I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying, if you're gonna buy into that mentality, don't let it isolate you. You know, you end up, you know, if I come to church and start allowing difference to cause division, rather, think about this. Your uniqueness only has value in the company of others. It's the only place it works. I'm different to you and the only place my difference has got any power is when I'm with other people who don't have what I have and I don't have what they have. That's why Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. It doesn't say two are better than one if the one's pathetic. It says two are better than one no matter how good the one is. Don't care if you're a superstar, two's still better than one. It's always gonna be better to have more. And there's books and research done on the wisdom. There's a book I read once called The Wisdom of Crowds and about how together we're always better than when we're isolated on our own. And so relationship is something we're designed for. you you got to get this because otherwise you, you know, God is constructing together. And we're over there going, don't like that, don't want to be that, don't want to go there. How would, how would it be if everybody I assessed in this church I assess their difference as being something to drive me apart. I go down, I sit next to somebody and go, well, you know, so tell me what's your doctrine on the return of Christ? Are you a post-tribulation person, a pre-tribulation or a pan-tribulation person? And they go, well, I'm pre-trib. I go, well, I don't believe that. And I, so I go and I sit a bit further back. I sit a bit further back and I go, you know, we had an election. Who did you vote for? Discovered they voted for a party I despise. And I go, hold on a second here, I can't, I'm not going to sit with you. And so I move a bit further to the back. I get out the back and I go, what kind of car you drive? And then I find out they drive a car that I think is a whole heap of rubbish. And so I'm not going to sit next to them because they're going to just you know, beat me up about that and what they do and whatever. If you allow difference to become that, it's not long before you're having church in the car park. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever. I'm not singing that probably. It's a hard song to sing, I've just discovered. Rhonda, can you sing that song? One is the loneliest. Mark, can you sing it? Uh, not today. Nobody wants Hayden. No, no. Kylie, do you know that song? If only I had Kamal here, he'd know how to sing it for sure. Relationship is what... We are designed for. Turn to your neighbour right now and say, we're meant to be. No, don't, don't say we're meant to be together. <laughs> I meant it in the... 
Don't turn to your neighbor and say anything. Here's the second thing. Here's the second thing you're designed for. You are designed for restoration. What do I mean by that? We pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy Kingdom come. What does Thy Kingdom come look like? Well, speak to the sky whenever things go wrong. And you'll know you're not just talking to the air, to the air. Michael Battersby's here. I should have got Michael to sing that song. Now he's shaking his head as well going, you're on your own, buddy. <laughs> Thank you for your together response. I just, <laughs> I'm moved, I'm moved. Let, stop a minute here. Because I think a lot of us think thy kingdom come looks like you know, the angels of fiery chariots and the Lord mm, swooping down, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. I think we think that's what the kingdom looks like. You know, or the kingdom looks like this. Oh, I love you with the love of the Lord. Yes, I love you with the love of the Lord. I can see in you, Richard. Yes, I can. I can. I can see in you the glory of my King. And I love you with the love of the Lord. How many people are hoping my album comes out quickly? <laughs> now we can. David Nah, you've been away overseas too long. You've missed too much. What does thy kingdom come look like? Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are His workmanship. That's design, isn't it? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not good thoughts, not good intentions, but for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are designed to be a vehicle of restoration. Every one of us that's living out kingdom life is a part of making this world a better place. I was thinking about this because I've read studies about the apes at the University of California in Berkeley, I think it is, where they have taught apes to speak using sign language and pointer letters of the alphabet and they can have conversations. Last I read on it, no one of the apes has ever said, but I just want to make the world a better place. I've got a dog. Well, we have a dog. The dog has never looked at me and said, look, walking through the bush is great. I really like smelling every blade of grass. But can you just help me make the world a better place? Yeah, that's what I think too. She just wants to dig a hole somewhere. Humankind is unique on the planet. And whether you're a Christian or not even, many people go, I just want to make the world a better place. Why is that? It's because you're designed for it. You're designed to do more than simply be a believer that one day goes to heaven. You're designed by God to be a restoration vehicle of the Kingdom of God. And everywhere you do that, 
every time, listen to me, there's no such thing as a useless act of kindness. There's no such thing as an irrelevant act of Christian love. Everything you do. If Jesus said you give a glass of water, a glass of water, that's not much. A glass of water to a prophet in my name, He said, you get a reward for that. And the thing that amazes me about that is not that you get a reward, but that heaven is counting the number of glasses of water I give out. Huh? Because huh? I think what He's looking for me is, can you go find a cure for this? Could you be a martyr? Well, I think He's, he's counting the number of amazing messages that I preach that people go, wow! Like a lady in Adelaide last week. I was talking about a Bible verse. I said, it's going to be so amazing. When I announced it, she went, what? <laughs> the whole crowd heard it. It was great. Here's the third thing that we are designed for. Third thing we're designed for is rulership. Relationship, restoration, rulership. There's something about us that's changing the dynamics of who's in charge in the world. And I don't think we speak enough about this anymore. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10 says, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, not the power of God, but the wisdom of God might be made known by the church, not by what the government did. Too many people are worried about what the government's going to do. You ought to be far more concerned about what the church is going to do. Because the church is God's vehicle of change in the earth. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. It's the gateway. It's the doorway through which God does everything He's going to do. Might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers. That's demonic ones. There is a, a spiritual heavenly authority shift. We should never get used to the devil having certain power or certain ability or just go, well, that's the world in which we live. As believers, we ought to be a part of going, we're going to shift that. We're going to change that. We're going to change the rates. If they say that mental health problems are going to suicide rates in Australia in the next decade, according to the paper just before Christmas, are going to increase by 40 percent in Australia in the next decade. Then the church ought to be saying, we're going to help shift that. We're not going to let that thing have power in our nation. We're not just going to go, well, too bad. After all, it's up to government. Pour another 50 million into mental health. It needs the church. That's why we do things like red frogs. I know that we may not be standing up, opening our Bibles and preaching, but we are taking the good news of a Saviour to people that are broken in their life. And we begin to shift the dynamics away. So much so now that there's an entire security firm that does most of the music festivals in WA. And they've said, we will not take a tender unless you sponsor red frogs to come to your event. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful when a secular security agency says, we're only going to take the tent. If you don't put red frogs in there and pay them to be there, make a donation to them, we won't turn up. That means that something's got to shift. Every Christian is one more demonstration that the enemy was and is wrong. 
Don't forget Revelation 1, 6 says that He's made us kings and priests, not just priests. The best news I know about rulership is this, that at the end of the whole thing, we win. Last I checked, devil zero, Christians one. Amen. Can you imagine what it'd be like if you're playing in the Australian Open and you go out there and you, you know you can't lose the match? I don't know about you, I'd be, just, I'd be so chilled. I'd be there going, whoa, yeah. And the guy would be grunting and, ah! Like they do on every point. I'd be there just trying to balance my racket on my finger. <laughs> Smile on my face when the ball came down. And over it goes, a beautiful little drop shot. <laughs> a bit more of a grunt. Lobs it back. And I skip down. The last I checked, we win. Huh? Come on. Here's the fourth one, the last one. There's relationship, restoration, rulership. Here it is. It's another R, recreation. Not recreation, leisure, but recreation. Genesis 1.28, God says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And there was an original plan that was derailed by the serpent. But God didn't chuck the plan away and go, oh, that didn't work. He always had a plan. That's why the Scripture speaks about the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. God had a plan. Before Adam and Eve screwed it up, God already had the answer already planned out. You and I are a part of that. When we pray Matthew 6 and verse 10, Thy kingdom come, we are literally praying that divine order will be restored to our planet. Lord, Thy kingdom come. And the heavenlies begin to shake. And devils begin to tremble. Why? I, listen, if you look at you, and, and I'm prone to this sometimes, going, God, why me? Who am I? How did I? Are you sure? But see, you're a part of a plan that's got an end already determined in mind. That's why it says in Matthew 28, verse 19, go and make disciples. Not disciples of you or of Metro Church, but disciples of Christ. Go and make people that look like Jesus. Amen. Acts 11 verse 26 says this, And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. The word literally means little Christs. I don't want to shock you or sound irreverent, but it literally means God going, I want to make you look like a little Christ. Think about that a minute. Wherever you go. I, I discovered a long while ago that if it depended on my goodness for God to move, God will never move. That's why the Bible says we are saved by grace. Not of works, lest anybody would boast. We'd go around going, it's because of me. Look what I can do. Rather than going, you know what? It never was about what I could do. It's about what God can do if I'll make room for Him. So the disciples were first called Christians. They called them that because they said, you're like little Christs. They weren't going, look, we've got to come up with a name. Let's get the marketing team in. What are we going to call ourselves? We can't go around forever saying we're disciples. 
because there's all kinds of disciples. We can't go around saying we're church members. There's lots of churches. And one bright spark in the marketing department says, I've got a great idea. Let's call them Little Christ. You hit on it there, Jack. That's it. Yeah, let's do it. And they launched a big marketing program. That's not the way it went. It happened like this. Somebody who wasn't a Christian said this. You know, you people, you're like little Christ. You just act like Jesus all the time. And then somebody else heard it and said, you're right, you know, they're like little Jesuses. They're like little Christ. So that's how come you're called a Christian. It's true. That's the way it happened. God's plan is nothing more than to recreate the universe through the church. I want to finish and read this to you. This is Ephesians 1, picking up from where I left off. Verse 15, again, out of the message version, says this, That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the Christians, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and give thanks. But I do more than thank, I ask. Ask the God of our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing Him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so you can see exactly what He's calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life He has for us Christians. Oh, the utter extravagance of His work in us who trust Him. Endless energy, boundless strength. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised Him from death and set Him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from His rule. Not just for the time being, but for forever. He's in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. At the centre of all of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, watch this. The church, you see, is not peripheral side issue to the church. The church is Christ's body in which He speaks and acts by which He fills everything with His presence. Friends, that's what you and I are a part of. We're a part of a lot bigger than a group of people on earth that happen to gather together to sing, to hear the Word of God. Please come, team. It's grander than anything we ever could have imagined. What you and I are a part of and what our contribution, what our design is. I recognise many of you will be serving God in ways that will never show up on a roster of Metro Church, by the way. And I appreciate all that you do wherever you do it for Christ and in His Name. But understand that you are designed with a purpose in mind. And that design invites you into a place of significance, into a place of impact. I talked to my friend, Pastor Danny Guglielmucci, yesterday. He said to me, Jeff, if I never preached another sermon, 
if I never led another church and I spoke at the church he led, which is now, I don't know how many campuses and how many thousands of people. He said, but if I never ever did that again, but I got to serve God with the one that I'm speaking to down the road, my neighbour, if I got to serve God with the person at the cafe that I'm helping, if I got to serve God by encouraging a leader, he said, I would be happy to live the rest of my life. That's somebody who understands that callings are forever, but roles are only for seasons. That's someone who understands that what they're a part of has eternal significance. Every connection, every activity, every deed. I pray that over this month, every single one of us are going to be able to find something new for our life. Maybe you're retired and you just need to be refired. Maybe you're just kind of got jaded with church or ministry or serving. I pray God will refresh your heart over this month. That you'll find a joy again and go, God, what I do matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for today. Thank You for every person that's here. Every person watching this via the YouTube channel or listening to it on a podcast or a CD. Pray God, every one of us, there will be something of You that sparks in us again and goes, God, show me why I'm on the planet. God, show me afresh again that what I do is not just because I'm good at it, not just because I enjoy it, but because You designed me thus. I'm simply acting out the design that You created. Help us, we pray in Jesus' Name. Just while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, the most important thing you'll ever do is make a step towards Jesus. The most important decision you'll ever make is not what school you go to, what job you take, who you marry even. All those things are very big and important decisions, but the most important one, because it affects your eternity, is the one where you say to Jesus, I want you. I'm saying yes to you to come into my life. I don't know you all here, and I'm saying it not just for you that are here, but for those that are watching, those that are listening. Wherever you are, you may be on a tractor somewhere or other in a farm somewhere in Australia, and you're listening to a podcast. I know people do that, by the way. They tell me they do. Maybe you're in an office somewhere or other and you're watching the YouTube video of this and you know, you stumble on somehow or other, you go, I'm no, I don't know Christ, but I wish I did. Can I pray with you this morning? If that's you, wherever you are, if you're in front of me, I'm going to ask you simply to do this. And it's as easy as this. You simply just slip your hand up in the air and say, Jeff, pray for me today. I don't know Jesus like that. Would you pray for me? If that's you, just slip it up. I'm going to pray for everyone in a minute. But I'd love to know I'm praying for you in the service right here, if that's you. Just put it back up, put it back down again. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to do any more than that. But pray with you right where you are. And I believe that Christ will come into your life because He said He would. It's as simple as that. He said He would. So I know that He will. Just I look across one more time. Is there anybody here? I don't want to miss you out. Thank you back there. I see you. Yep. Anyone else? Just wherever you are. It's an opportunity to say yes to Christ. There's lots of ways to do that. This is one. Thank you in there. Yep, I see you. Anyone else want to join those two men and say yes? 
Then we're going to pray together. I want everyone to pray the prayer, not just for these that are in front of us, but for those that are watching, those that are listening. Can we pray this simple prayer that says yes to Jesus? Say this after me, Lord Jesus, I need You in my life. I want Your forgiveness. I want Your help. I want You to live in me. Thank You, Jesus, for coming into my life right now. Amen. You don't need to pray this prayer, but I'm going to pray, Father, for all the people, wherever they are. There must be always, Lord, more than what's in front of us because the yes texts that come in, Lord, are people from far and wide. Thank You for those people. Thank You, Lord. Some of them will not know their name or see their face till we stand before You and they'll come and tell us that it was that Sunday, first Sunday of February, and they said yes to Jesus. So, Lord, we pray for them. Lord, help us to help them as best we can to become great followers of Jesus. Thank You, Lord. Amen. Amen. Give those people, wherever they are, a great big hand. I'll follow you anywhere. Yeah. Yes, text, I think, is one of the greatest ideas God has ever given us as a church. That simply is this. If you text yes to 488 or if you'd prefer to do it on the web, it's yes.metrochurch.org.au. You simply text yes next 30 days at 7 a.m. our time here in Perth. Wherever you are, it'll be your time zone. You'll get a Scripture that we've selected. It comes from our church. It doesn't come from some third party group. It comes from us. A Scripture for you, a different one every day. And then as well as that, a prayer. It fits on one screen of your smartphone. The prayer is for you to pray. It's a different one every day. And so we found that's been so helpful for people to have in their pocket a program of discipleship, a program of helping them follow Christ. And so we're just so thrilled that you are doing that and following Christ like that in Jesus' Name. Can I say to those of you that are watching via the web in some way or other or listening to the podcast, why don't you drop us a line? You can write to me at Jeff, G-E-O-F-F at metrochurch.org.au or info at metro, whichever. Leave it on the website. I'd love to hear that God is doing something great in your life in the Name of Jesus. That'd be great.